Hello, my faithful listeners. I can say that because I have a handful of listeners, but guess what, everybody? A couple new people joined in last week, shouting them right out. Paul and Tenya, exciting stuff. Might even have somebody new listening this week, so I'm going to just shout out Lee just in case she tunes in. I'm crossing my fingers, you can't see that. But interestingly enough, those who listen listen for a reason. And right now, it, you can probably hear the usual cars on Racine Street, but maybe you hear another little um, background noise, and that is a storm. And it's really just a small thunderstorm, a little bit of rain, not like giant downpouring, but there's a lot of rumbling of thunder and occasional lightning, and I find it hilarious. I find it hilarious because it is God's affirmation that today's topic is the right topic. And quite honestly, to quote my friend Paul, he said, sometimes I have the best conversations with the man upstairs when I'm in my kayak. Yep, I get it. God in nature is so present and so real. And from that email, thank you, Paul, I'm like, duh, that's next week's total topic. I love that God uses us to build each other up and to encourage each other and as vessels for what we need to hear. And so that's where we're at today is God in nature and how we worship. Let's talk first about how God approaches nature. And it's funny because if you believe in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three parts of God, all one God, with these interesting roles as they apply to us. And it's difficult to explain, but the more you get to know God, the more it makes total sense. So God the Father, we always, in this Apostles' Creed, you'll have to look it up, but it is often what Christians use to profess their faith. And while you will not find the specific Apostles' Creed in the Bible, it's not like a code that, you know, like the Boy Scouts code or the Girl Scouts code that you raise three fingers to, which would make sense. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. But that's not the way it works. It is, however, based on the things in the Bible that we hold to be really true. And so when I, and I bring up lots of church things, I like to worship in church, and I want you to ponder how you worship God, because we don't all do it the same, and we need to stop judging people for how they worship. If you are worshiping God in a unique way that is not the world's way, so to speak, or the expected way on earth, so what? Good for you. Congratulations. If it's working, amen. So I often bring up church 
because I'm just a geek who's gone to church all her life, and I like it. I also love having conversations from people with people from different churches, love different perspectives, love to see the way people do things differently. And I love hearing about prayers and kayaks and hikes and while somebody was gardening or baking or weaving or knitting or crocheting or sewing or all kinds of things, running. Anywho, again, me and my list making, cross-country skiing and, no, I'm kidding. One of the things that I would always start with in Wednesday night church school, and I had sixth and fifth and sixth graders for the longest time, and then it was just sixth grader. No, first it was just sixth graders, and then our church got a little bit smaller, a little bit less families coming to church, so then we combined fifth and sixth grade together, and I taught like pre-confirmation for a long time, and for the most part, this wonderful curriculum that we had basically was just up through the Bible, giving kids a sort of a historical foundation of the Bible. And it, of course, it always starts off with creation, right? So I always would have this conversation with, hey, who can make a tree? Like, that's, that's the activity that we're going to start with, make a tree. So everybody would start to get up to get some sort of materials. And I'm like, oh, oh, hold, hold on one second. You can't use anything. And they're like, what? Well, how can we make a tree if we can't use anything? I'm like, well, let's just talk about it for a minute. What were you going to do? And somebody would say, I was going to draw it. Somebody would say, paint it. Somebody would say, sculpt it. And I'm like, mm, okay, but then it's just a replica of a tree. So I'm looking for a real, live, growing tree. And then somebody said, well, well, then I'm going to need to either get like a sapling or seeds or something like that. And it's going to take longer than tonight. Yep, of course it is. But I'm also asking you to make it out of nothing. Well, that's impossible. Yep, for us it is. But for God, it was simply by saying, let there be the things that he proclaimed and heaven and earth are created. Well, heaven was already there, but earth is created separate from heaven and day and night and sea and land and plants and fish and animals because God said, and it was. So right there, we have this God of nature. And I feel like from that moment on, every time I see a tree, it is God's word spoken into existence. And that's a really, really cool thing. There's lots and lots of other dynamic stories in the Bible that have some sort of element of nature. Of course, everybody's going to think of Noah's Ark. And don't forget that the, ar the story of the Ark ends with a rainbow. It doesn't really end, but it, but God puts a rainbow in the sky as a promise that he will never destroy 
the earth with a flood again. He did what he needed to do, but now there's this promise. And we all know that that rainbows are now associated with pride. And I'm okay with that because it is God's promise to all of us. And I think that promise is important for us to back up every human on this earth, every human of every color and every human of every that lives and breathes, period. So the next one that I was thinking of, and this is all, again, just me jotting down ones from being a geek Bible reader, but then there's the burning bush. Makes no sense, right? You have this dry bush and it's on fire. It's going to be, pretty soon it's not going to be burning anymore. And even if it's not dry, I don't know why I picked dry. I don't know. I guess probably because in my brain when I saw the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, hilarious. You have to be old to get that reference too. But I don't know. It just was like this weird fire and I didn't see any really green leaves. But even if you light like green stuff on fire, first it's probably going to smoke before it starts on fire, but it might burn for a while, but eventually it burns away. And this bush is fire and something living and it is God's presence. He chooses something in nature and does it more than once too. He's a pillar of fire and a and a cloud um, to lead and and um, be in the back of the people traveling, the Israelites traveling in the Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea. Oh my goodness. Like that isn't like nature at its finest, only not really at its finest, at its weirdest because parting a sea and now everyone's walking through it across. I mean, I would have been trying to sprint through it because I would have been so nervous that it's going to collapse. And yet God did it. So maybe there was just giant joy, but crazy how that happened. He does it again when he parts the Jordan River. Um, look that up in Joshua 3. And, and every time he talks about the promised land for the Israelites, he talks about a land flowing with milk and honey. And it's obviously not like rivers of milk and honey, because that'd be weird. You get really sticky in that honey and that'd be real gross because then everything would stick to you, especially in nature in those days. Like people would have like sticks and twigs and bugs and rocks on them. That'd be weird. The idea is that it's going to have everything that they need. It's going to have livestock that are going to produce milk and, um, and the flora and the fauna of the land will produce everything they need to eat, including honey. Lots of talk about reaping and sowing and in um, the prophet Elijah is complaining because they are mad at what he's prophesying. And so he goes and hides in a cave and he hears the voice of God 
to say, go out and stand on the mountainside. And first comes wind. And then comes, he says, you're going to hear the voice of God. And first comes the wind. And he doesn't hear God or see God. And then there's an earthquake. And God isn't present there. And then there's fire. And then after that, God comes in a gentle whisper. And while the gentle whisper isn't nature, God used wind, earthquake, and fire prior. God was in all of those things. But Elijah just doesn't see or hear it until he hears God whisper. And, and it's interesting because in a weird way, that whisper was probably as loud as somebody screaming in like, wake up. Like, I'm present. I'm here. The wind, the earthquake, the fire. And when Jesus comes, there is all kinds of nature happening too. Let's be honest, he spent more time outside than he probably did indoors or in a temple or in the synagogue. He preached on mountains. He talked about the parable of the sower. He talked about when he when he tells us not to worry, he talks about the birds of the air uh, and the sparrows and how God gives them everything that they need and the the lilies and how in all their splendor um, that doesn't God clothe us better than he does the birds of the air and the flowers on earth. So much in our Bible about nature. I do a lot of biblical references because the Bible is the Word of God, and when you read it, and when you study it, and when you learn about it, and continue to always be in conversation with God, it's like a giant book of texts from God, or emails from God, depending on what your mode of um, communication is, but it is. It's like this amazing self-help manual, only it's not self-help at all. It is God help. And so I err on the side of talking about what's in the Bible because I do want people to investigate it on their own, similar to how you worship. Native Americans often worshiped land and moon and sun and natural elements and nature became their god and i think there's this very fine line between worshiping the sun s u n and worshiping the sun s o n as in the son of god i get it Whenever I would be, whenever I'm driving, and whether it's the sun rising or the sun setting, but that moment when it is so bright 
that you have to put your visor down or you have to put sunglasses on because it's just so, so bright. And to me, I feel like that is Christ shining out on me. And I feel that connection to God. So when people talk about like, yeah, I don't really believe in God. I, I mostly believe in like nature and blah, blah, blah. I feel like, okay, well, you're so close because God is really bigger than the sun. He's bigger than the moon and the stars. He's the one who created them. So it'd be kind of like as an artist, um, somebody saying, yeah, I don't really believe in the artist, but I, you know, there's this paint, the Mona Lisa, I definitely believe in you know, in the Mona Lisa. Well, obviously, Rembrandt painted the Mona Lisa. It is Rembrandt, isn't it? I should know this. I serve art teachers for a living. But yeah, he painted the Mona Lisa. And so to say he doesn't exist, that's just weird to me. And so I, I, I think the connection is there. And we feel it. And all of these things that come out of nature and these phenomenons that happen or when people are trapped in nature and are able to survive to me that is God so much taking care of them because he provides he is the provider and that is just another name for God whole nother story about that but maybe that's another podcast anyways or things of nature that are discovered that are used for healing or ways to like like who would have thought soy would turn into so many foods that would be so abundant and popular for people that don't want to eat animal meat. Amazing. Like all these things in nature and things that are uncovered in nature in terms of like artifacts and all that kind of stuff. There's just this beauty in nature. And even in the scary stuff, even in the earthquakes and the tsunamis and the hurricanes and all the things that can be devastating. And God allows that to happen, but all of that is a, as a result of our turned upside down world when Adam and Eve sinned. And so prior to that, the world and the earth were perfection. And then after that, everything got a little bit kittywampus. And so how how and where do you worship is it is it outdoors is it inside and and even if it is inside maybe you are a church goer maybe you like to sit in a I was gonna say in a closet but you know a small room where you you know some people maybe do lock themselves in the closet and read their bible or pray or you know that cozy chair on the porch, wherever you are. 
And I know there's gardeners out there, Judy and my sister Susie, shouting it right out to you because you guys are hardcore gardeners. My mom was a hardcore gardener. To her, touching the earth was like touching God, was like feeling connected. And I think that's super cool. I don't have that green thumb kind of feeling, but I'll tell you that on the 4th of July, it rained probably midday. And for a short period of time, I'm going to say maybe a half an hour. And during that rain, there was no thunder or lightning. So we were setting up a little tent to for this family picnic. And as we were setting it up, getting legit poured all over Carter Baldwin, yay, He's my son-in-law. Yay for him being willing to just get super wet while, you know, I was okay because I had a swimsuit on and a t-shirt on and I was running around chasing my grandkids, but they were loving running in the rain. And it reminded me of when I was in grade school and it would rain and we would just go out and play and put dirt and mud all over ourselves and then let it wash off at the rain. Something amazing about nature and touching the things that God made or doing some sort of sport like fishing or hunting. My husband is a hunter and I know that he's had conversations with God as he hunts. Um, I don't know as much fishing, I assume so, but there is something about the power of a human over an animal, which is God-given as well. And so I like that, that where you find worship in nature. Ever since I got the email and was thinking about God in nature, I've noticed all these amazing, natural, beautiful things you know, the, the rain had more meaning. And when the sun did come out, it just seemed so God given. And on a hot, hot walk today it is so hot and humid. Even just that moment of a gentle breeze, like you're like, Oh, thank you, God. I'm not a super big nature lover. I don't mind nature. I don't ever want to go on naked and afraid, mostly because I don't want to be naked in the, in the woods. I don't know if you could be like, like maybe one outfit in afraid, then I would be okay. Or like minimalist in afraid, that would be all right. But there's just something about not having underwear on <laughs> In the woods, that seems wrong on a million levels. I end up watching that show. I know, guilty pleasure, right? But I end up watching that show because there is something amazing about being in nature. And I always want to know, like, what are they going to score to eat? Like, I love it when they happen to be in an area where they might get, like, crab or lobster or something like that. Well, hello, that's pretty deluxe. But then I wonder if that just wrecks it for the rest of their life. Anyhow, 
the one thing that I think they never show and it has to happen is those people praying. You know, it would take God's presence for anybody to get through 21 days in the nature naked. Oh my goodness. I do find that show enjoyable though. Not going to, not even going to lie. So kind of missed my point. Um, in regards to what I was trying to get at, except for the fact that I don't, I don't really necessarily love nature. Love it when it's beautiful and you pull over on the side of the road and you get out and you look at the overpass or you're standing on a beach and looking at an ocean or you're next to a mountainside. Wow. The, those are awesome experiences. And when I say awesome, like it's that shock and awe and that fear of God, that fear in a good way though, that fear that while this ocean is powerful and the power that comes from God, same with a mountain or just the vastness of like cornfields. Like I know if you're not from the Midwest, that sounds really corny. <laughs> No pun intended. No, I'm joking. Of course, the pun was totally intended. But my point being is every time you visit a different state or travel across the United States, even when you're flying, sometimes when you look down, you know you're over the water or you know you're over the mountains. And that is so unbelievably amazing. All right quick commercial. When I say quick, it's the same commercial that I've done since I said it was a new year. So six months into it, it's probably time to redo the commercial. This is the last time that you have to hear that it's a new year. I use nature this week as a form of worship because it is so true. There are lots of people like Paul that connect with God when they're outdoors in a kayak or, you know, fishing or hunting or hiking or swimming or, you know, on the ocean and on the beach, that kind of thing, by a lake, mountain, all of those things. Think about filmmakers and how anybody that does, you know, TV or movies, especially some of those big epic movies, there's always the landscape and the setting that sets the story. There's power in that, you know, like Yellowstone. That's a crazy mini series that I'm also mildly addicted to and it's nuts. And yet the beauty of Yellowstone is unbelievable. And so there we are drawn to God in there that the Psalms talk a lot about worshiping God and talk about like in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. In Psalm 95, in his hands are the depths of the earth. And my brain instantly went to, he's got the whole world in his hands because he does. God has created it all and can manipulate any of it. It is when it's predicted to rain 
and it doesn't. I'm not sure if you can hear the train in the background. That's not very natural, but I live very close to a railroad track, and sometimes it's just honking its horn. The real truth, though, is that nature and God exist, and they're not equivalent because God is the God of nature. And so I just caution anybody to use it as their God, but instead to use it to find God, to talk to God, and to have the conversation. When I think of worship, I think of the presence of God and then the communicating with God and God communicating to us. And we do that through prayer and through the Bible and through song and communicating with others. Church with a capital C isn't specific buildings. It's not groups of specific people. It is the group at large called humans that God created in his image. And when you profess that you believe in God, you become part of that church. And our churches look different. And from the beginning of time, from the beginning of when first churches were formed in the New Testament after risen Lord Jesus Christ and an ascended Lord Jesus to heaven, and he leaves his Holy Spirit with us, and people started meeting together. And sometimes they met in tents, and sometimes they met in people's homes, and sometimes buildings were constructed, and they met there. And it changed, and it and and churches are changing today. There's big, huge mega churches, and there's very tiny churches, and there's people who do meet in their homes, and there's people who meet in secret because they are not allowed to worship. Oh my goodness. In a in a United States of America where politics has gotten so crazy. I still was proud to be an American on July 4th because we live in a country where we can worship freely. And I pray that for all who listen that live in a country that might not be able to worship freely. I pray for all the countries where it is dictated as to who you will worship. And I pray that they are able to meet with God. And maybe that's the moment that nature is super important and valuable to be able to worship in nature. couple side notes that are just interesting. Has anybody ever heard of the St. Columban's Mission Society? This is a group, it's a Catholic-based group of priests that their their mission, their goal is um, to help the poor and the exploited, um, to seek justice for those who are denied their rights, um, to build faith communities, 
to promote dialogue between Christians and other religions, to grow cultures of peace, and advocating respect and care for the earth and the environment. And that last one just surprised me a little because I don't know that churches always put a whole lot of emphasis on that. But as I read the Bible and as I was studying this week's topic of nature, there's so much in the Bible about nature. And of course, we need to take good care of it and be good stewards of what God has given us. I also thought it was kind of hilarious because as I was looking particularly at the New Testament and what Jesus might say about nature, the fact that he was in nature so much or would go up on a mountain to pray. He walked on water. He clearly was in control of all of it, you know, plants, trees. Um, and I just think of when there's no figs on a tree and he curses the fig tree and it withers away. I also cracked up because the whole idea of Jesus being born in a barn, like that's pretty much being like born out in nature, you know, just not, not natural for a place for a baby to be born, let alone our savior. I'm going to Job chapter 38, and you might be like, what? How come Job? Everybody knows the story of Job. Not everybody. I can't say that with actual absoluteness. The story of Job is where the devil says Job loves God because of all the stuff that he has. And God allows the devil to take it away without killing Job. The devil literally kills everyone in his family and all his livestock and takes everything away from Job. And yet Job still remains faithful to God, questions the heck out of God and wants answers and expects God to give him answers. So that's sort of the picture. So after lots of contemplating and friends coming involved and being involved in what they think, then God speaks. And here's what God says. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who's, who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set and who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. 
The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the spring of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? That's just verses 1 to 20. God continues to talk about all of nature and how he is the creator. And he's pointing out to Job, for the most part, his almightiness and that for us to question God and to wonder is really honestly disrespectful. So let's really look at our world and our earth and ponder our God. If you are a person who is all about the nature, whether it's bird watching or fishing or gardening or hunting or hiking, any of those things, any of the things that we do outside, maybe you are just a professional sunbather, any of those things where there is the natural element of nature. I you know, the earth and the sun and the stars and the moon and, and trees and plants and all that kind of stuff. If that's you, keep worshiping God that way. Keep connecting with him. Talk to him, though, because you're not worshiping the sun. You're not worshiping the lake. You're not worshiping the ground. You're worshiping the God who created it and not with his hands. He created it with his voice. He said, and it was, and it is, and it still is. So for those of us who might not love nature as much as others, there's still beauty to be found in it and make sure to keep looking. And God's also the God of cars that go by that are really loud. But it is so true. We find God where we look and we find God where we want him to be but he also meets us where we're at and if we're out on a walk or if we're out fishing or if we are incapable of getting out of bed today God meets us where we're at and we can worship wherever we're at This week, we just focused on nature because it is so close to God. It is God's word in living color. Enjoy this week. Enjoy every sunshine that comes out, every overcast sky, every fluffy cloud. See what you can see in those clouds. I love that game. Enjoy it all.